I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift. This may be our longest recap of the year for (laughs) what is already odds-on favorite to be the race of the year, one of the best I've ever seen. Paris-Roubaix 2022, the men's race. We had Paris-Roubaix Femmevac Swift yesterday. I got up, made a coffee. The race starts. Yes, I get up late. It's a Sunday, and I couldn't leave the couch for the next six hours. Um, unbelievable race. 257Ks from Compania to Roubaix, 31 cobbled sectors, starting with 98Ks to go. Normally, there's a big fight for the break, in the fast highway asphalt section in the first 100Ks, but not race-defining splits, today was carnage. First, there was a move with Pichon Duel and one other rider I can't remember. Nothing threatening. Three-man move, 30 seconds ahead with like 240Ks, 220Ks to go. I was like, that can't be the day's break, right? Like just those three guys, normally we have 10-man strong breaks. We had Benji. I don't know. Can we even define what happened as a breakaway afterwards? I consider it yes, because it's a group that breaks away from other riders. Now, what happened? That is a real question here. Again, not too many attacks that went the first 50 kilometers, you said it, those three riders, and then suddenly the peloton is like one large group again. And from that group, riders try to slip away. But this is getting into a crosswind section where a Jumbo Visma rider goes to the front to try and kind of slip away at the front, goes a bit faster, tries to look behind whether splits occur in like 8th position, ninth position to see if a group can get away. That's how riders do this regularly. And we started noticing that the peloton was really stretched out and then a side view came up and there were gaps forming in the group. So riders left and right were trying to make sure they were in that first echelon because echelons were going on. The alarms were sounding in the peloton, the echelon alarms, and I was getting hyped. I was like, on Twitter, echelons in Paro Bay. Just, just like 2019 before we got to the couple sections as well. So very intriguing. This time around, they were more serious though because we eventually ended up with two major groups because Ineos and Quickstep were like, echelons? Echelons? Let's put echelons. Why not? So... A peloton of basically, let's say, 66% of the peloton ahead and 34% of the peloton behind. Is that a rough estimate of what the group composition was? Yeah, maybe 50-50. We spent the next hour trying to figure out who had got into group one, who we knew had not got in were riders that we'd seen chilling at the back of the peloton before this crosswind action kicked off. Mathieu van der Poel, Christophe Laporte and Wout van Aert were all at the back. Jumbo Visma had like three or four riders ahead, including Mike Turnison. Quickstep and Ineos were the best place. They had Kung behind, Pedersen, Wout, Vanderpool behind, and they had Lampard and the entire Ineos, literally the entire Ineos team ahead. I was surprised, Benji, because 
the crosswinds didn't happen like, oh, they go through a village, they go through a roundabout, in your string it out, and bang, just like that, it's split. It kind of took a while to develop, and I was surprised no one moved up, and this placed incredible pressure on Alperson, who only sent one rider or two riders to pace. They kept Dillier Van Kielsbroek behind. Olivier Legac and FDJ were pacing for a long time for Kung, and Ineos were absolutely drilling it. I think, I think Yumbo, Visma, Benji, it's ideally you have Laporte ahead, yeah. but once it's happened, I don't think you drop Domestique's back, particularly not Turnison or Van Dijk. Certainly, because I feel like they've got a situation where there's so many teams that need to ride in each of the two groups where they could be like, let's do hands off. It's risky, but let's do it. Again, let's try and repeat very swiftly which teams were riding where Alpacin, Trek, and Groupama in the group behind. Luis Aski of Groupama decided to still pace in the front group regardless of his team being behind and pacing behind, because why the hell not? And Asgren was behind, but Quickstep decided to pace as well in the front group together with that Ineos team. So you're seeing that all these teams are so willing to ride in both groups where Yumbo can just say, and the back group, they can say, we've got four riders ahead. We don't need to ride. In the front group, they can say, well, Wout and Laporte are behind. Why should we pace in this front group? So that combination worked very well where they could basically lift the responsibility of their own shoulders and put it on everybody else. And in the end, it could turn out a valuable thing to do that, or it could turn out very badly if that group doesn't come back. But so early in the race, so far until we get to Trouet Adenberg, the first proper cobble sections. And in all honesty, the gap started going up. The gap consistently started going up. And then it kind of leveled out at 118, 119. That's roughly the time it was max, I would dare to say. But let's reconsider a few options here. What do you think Ineos and Quickstop are trying to do here? Do you think that they're basically just trying to make sure... Yeah, I think the obvious point is that they're trying to make sure MVP and Wilder out of the race, right? Well, they've got the three quickest sprinters behind and Ineos don't have anyone favoured in a sprint against any of those three. They're burning those guys, Domestiques, Sturvens behind too, who wasn't pulling at that point, obviously. They're burning those Domestiques quickly. They're making the race hard for Van Baal, Turner and co. Van Baal, second at uh, Flanders, second at World Champs last year, the hardest race perhaps of the year, calories-wise, for the entire five and a half, six and a half hours, however long it was. And the curious thing was they enter those cobbled sections, the first ones. Usually, there's not huge action there. Ghana punctures, and they wait, and I couldn't believe it because I was a big Ghana doubter. I don't think riding behind a Derny on the velodrome is an exact replication of the cobbled <laughs> experience. And I was like, okay, that sucks. Ghana's obviously helpful as well to pull, but don't wait. You got you still got six in front. Press home the advantage, and there was other crashes. Eventually, he came back. We went back to group two, and at around this time, Benji, I tweeted yesterday about the Pirellis that Trek use, and yes, they still won the women's race yesterday. Pedersen, I don't. He crashed then in a yeah. corner asphalt or in a cobbled section. I couldn't tell. Yeah, and an asphalt section where Asgren was also a part of this, where I think a few riders went down, Asgren, Peterson, also Rasmus Stiller, so three, four riders on the side of the road, and knowing that this is just before one of the next cobble sections as well, it's going to be very hard to come back from this, knowing that there's a peloton ahead that's going very fast, a peloton behind that's going very fast, Gana that's coming back to their first group in the meanwhile, so many things are going on, and 
basically at that point, I just kind of gave up when it, when it comes to trying to follow what happened because this was pure chaos, 100%. We need split screens in cycling. Yeah, it was the time gaps you couldn't rely on. We've got, on the one hand, Ineos not pacing the group ahead and a top sport, Vlana and Balwaza, Rana goes clear, Reinders. And then on the other hand, Trek won't be pacing the group behind because Pedersen's trying to catch back up. And so Alberson have only committed one rider. So nothing, the gaps aren't really changing. And yeah, it was absolute chaos, the likes of which we rarely have seen in the last 10, 15 years before uh, Arenberg. Eventually, Reinders has a mechanical. The group catches back to him. It's scary. It's like, blocking the road uh sheffield had a crash as well for ineos so ineos were actually despite getting in a really good position leading riders from the front ghana going sheffield going worth i think caught behind a crash and that really took the impetus out of group one and the peloton actually returned on avlui wallace which at one point, I thought that Peloton was done unless Alberson got a move on. They had started pacing with uh, Vermeesh and Van Kiersbluck and Dillier, but then Dillier crashed. So it all comes back, and you know, Benji, this is the time for other riders to slip away. Yeah, certainly. And we saw multiple riders trying to do something like that. The likes of a Mohoric, for example, to get away at the likes of a Kasper Peterson of DSM, not Mats Peterson anymore, as, yeah, he didn't have too much luck today. Let's talk about that. Tom de Vrind also there for Antomarché, who seemed to be doing very well so far in this race. And then Laurent Pichon also for Arkea. And this is the kind of move where there are so many people that are trying to come back that just came back to the group behind that the cooperation there just lacks a bit. And like you said, the tempo dies. And again, those riders get to slip away and get a bit of a gap before we get to the most important sector at that point in the race, which is through it bad again. Then you know that once Mohoric has a bit of a gap and it's like 30 seconds, something like that, he's going to try and keep it going on Ardenberg, for example, while in the group behind. Why is he going to be fighting for a position? And this is where the uh, interesting drama surrounding Wout van Aert starts occurring because Lars Buck, I think Danish TV commentator, has mentioned on the uh, TV that Wout van Aert put his hand in the air like four kilometers before they get to Weidenberg. And honestly, at that point, I was like, okay, he's waving at someone probably. Probably not, but he might have had a mechanical already before Weidenberg started. But then we saw him moving up to position five just before they get to Truid Arnberg. So I'm like, okay, probably not then. He's going to be in a good position for this cobble section. And they get onto that. And I swear, I see Vanat riding onto Arnberg. And they switch to the Mohoric camera. They switch back. And Vanat is at the back of the group, struggling to go forward. And I had no clue what was going on. What was your first thought that came into your head? I didn't know he'd had a mechanical, so I thought he was unwell or not recovered from his COVID uh, positive recently, which held him out of Flanders. It turned out that he was riding Timo Rosen's bike, one of many mechanicals for Wout and he eventually changed that bike afterwards. Uh, there's usually a regrouping after Arenberg, and it wasn't a bad time to actually change. He had Laporte, who'd I think had a mechanical with 180 k's to go or something himself, bring him back. And he was obviously not trusting his own legs. He'd already spent a lot of energy. So then we get into the next phase of the race. But before we get to that, mention our show partner, Zwift. It is now less than 100 days, 99 by my count, until the start of the Tour de France Farm 
avec Zwift. Zwift are calling on fans to watch the fam, and it's so good to see so many watching Haribe fam avec Zwift yesterday. Check out our recap of that if you missed it. Another exciting race. But the women's Tour de France fam avec Zwift. The parkour has gravel sectors, flat, punchy stages, and actual proper mountain stages as well, which I can't wait to see. For more information on how Zwift are working to grow a stronger and more inclusive community or to dive in and start riding with a free seven-day trial, head to Zwift.com. Despite all this chaos, it reaches a bit of a stasis point here. You have this Morich de Vrent Pichon group, two minutes ahead. Immediately, I'm like, you don't want to give Moritz too big a gap. De Vrent yeah. and Pichon are not helping him on the asphalt sections. We then have a group of Ballerini, Swift, Bissiger, Casper Pedersen chasing. I thought that was not actually helping Quickstep in any way because they were, I think, what's the expression, Benji? Chasse-patate. They were just yeah. spending Ballerini never, with no hope of ever getting to Moritz. And they weren't trying to bridge Quickstep themselves. And the group was at a minute 50. Then Group Armour start chasing. Then p- Kung punctures. And then <laughs> Group Armour stop chasing. So the gap is still two minutes. Eventually, 57Ks to go. Oshia Berset, there's always moves on the Oshis. Uh, Oshila's Oshi, Oshia Berset. Nathan Van Hoydonk, incredibly strong classics this year in Paris-Nice Stage 1, launches Van Art, And what do they put in, Benji? 45 seconds in a minute, I swear, into the Moritz group. Yeah, certainly. The gap just flew down from 1.45-ish to one minute roughly on the group of Mohoric. And there we saw that still it was the Vrind following, Pichon following. So those two riders must have had the ride of their life in that breakaway in the wheel of Mohoric at that moment. And I'd argue that at that point they did start riding with Mohoric because the gap was indeed decreasing behind. But the question then is, Wout Finat is being launched by Nathan Van Hoydonk. And if he can't drop the people behind me, they're going to end up with a smaller group, including the likes of Kung, for example, the likes of Ea Vanderpool, who was also in that group, together with, I think, a teammate at that point in the race still, and just multiple riders from other teams. And the question then is, is there going to be cooperation or not when that group forms? And I feel like initially the cooperation wasn't really there, and then it slowly but surely started coming. Don't you feel like the cooperation kind of felt like it was coming a bit? Yeah, MVDP was reluctant to pull initially. They started pulling. The, the concern always is you use your domestique to set up an attack. You put in 40 seconds, the gap's a minute, and then you get to the asphalt and you give that 40 seconds straight back with the group finessing. But King Kung was pulling, <laughs> Vanderpool was pulling, and so we actually had those three working, and that was a very, very bad sign for Morich and De Vrindt in the break. Eventually, on Mont-Saint-Pavel, um, Wout well, goes again at Van der Poel and Kung Bridge. Van Baal was looking very good on Orshi Les Orshi. 39 Ks to go. The gap is now 30 seconds or so, 35 seconds after Mont-Zon-Pavel. Wout wow, has another puncture. And I'm like, this guy is cursed. Like, he's <laughs> not coming back. Van der Poel and Kung go, go on the front, drill it. They didn't. They actually didn't. And at the same time, well, two Ks later, in the break, Morich punctures. And we get this scenario where, couldn't have come at a better time, by the way, for Wout van Aert, the Morich puncture. Because De Vrindt literally, I don't know what his CDA was, but without Morich, he would look like he's just pedaling along on his own. And the group <laughs> behind with Sturven, uh, Van Baal, Turner, Lampart, and Van der Poel didn't do anything. 
Petit was blocking for Intermarche. Christophe might have been there or Taco. Can't remember which. And Wow actually comes back. And here's where here's where I think Wow got a little bit ahead of himself. He returns after the puncture. He's had two or three minimum mechanicals. He actually looks the strongest rider in the race. I thought Van der Poel's bluffing, but then there were some Wout moves maybe on Monzon Pavel where I was like, mm, I'm not sure he's on peak form. And Wout attacks when he returns Benji with De Vrint up the road. He starts to attack the group rather than following the inevitable moves of Van Baal and Kung. And this is what happened. He's going to let one of those two eventually slip away. And that's what did happen. Yeah. And I, I'd argue that it was perhaps an attempt of getting rid of Vanderpool in between cobble sections. But at that point in the race, I had a feeling that Vanderpool was kind of not on the level that I expected him to be. Because usually when Vanderpool is on, he does something serious before a point like this. He has at least moved at least once at the front of the group. The entire race, he was at the back of groups, and I was like, perhaps something's off, but I didn't dare to say it because I would have said the same in Dwarzor of London, where at the start he seemed to be a bit repassive and didn't really respond to every single attack, so perhaps he was just being smart. And yes, Fanat kept getting ahead of himself a bit by attacking left and right, and the problem with attacking left and right is that you are, first of all, getting other people to counter you every single time, people are trying to follow your wheel when you make a move, and... The thing is, if you attack yourself all the time, then when someone else goes, you're not necessarily thinking to yourself, I'm immediately going to jump on the wheel, right? Or do you exactly. think that's just me? And MVP was marking him. So then you have this scenario where Wout has attacked, he's burnt MVP's legs for five second, 10 second bridge to him and Kung. And so then you have the, this is why it's an advantage to be underrated. You then have riders like Morich re-attacking with Lampard on the wheel from the back of the group. MVP's like, I can't close everything. Wout can't close everything. And instead of being able to follow moves like that, he they let it go. And immediately the gap goes out to 20 seconds. Dylan Van Baal sensing the danger again. The guy came second at Flanders. Uh, I guess the group did come back because of the finessing, but still second at Worlds 2, they let him go. No one reacts to Dylan Van Baal, and he bridges. It's a long time, but he eventually bridges to a group of Moritz, De Frint, and Eve Lampart. To be honest, a pretty good situation for Quickstep, considering where they've been in the classic season with no top sprinter or top favorite in that group. Eventually, Wout's like, MVP ain't finessing me. He actually doesn't have it today and has to attack across later with Kung, but the gap was already at 40 seconds, 45 seconds plus. And so we knew most likely, geez, I've been talking too much, my voice cracking, <laughs> the winner was coming from the group in front. And when did Van Baal go, Benji? We moved towards the Canton Pavel section together with the uh, Carrefour de l'Arbre section. And on those two cobble sections, we know that attacks will come both behind and at the front end. On these cobble sections, Van Bala went to the front of the group and just started hammering it. And rider by rider, they were dropping off. I think Tom de Vrind was unfortunately, ah, the Belgian who was so prominent this entire race, dropping first of those uh, four. And I was pretty sad to see that. Lampard already on a gap as well, to be honest, together with Mohoric. And it didn't take long until we saw that Van Bala was actually getting a proper gap on those riders. And yeah, we're still with roughly 17 kilometers to go. So there's still a point where 
everything can turn around. But Fambala was looking very strong, and he's the kind of rider that has a time trial. So if a rider has a time trial, gets over the cobbles, it's going to be hard to catch him. But behind, people started attacking as well. And one thing that also occurred was, I think, Stiven, who was in that chasing group, eventually got a puncture as well, which makes sure that the chasing point where Fanad was then dropping people also was not that strong anymore, right? Yeah, I think that really hurt that group. Sturvin was obviously working with Kung and Van Aert, and you just lose another guy to share. Um, you have to take 17% more longer pulls if you're splitting it 50-50 versus 33% of the load. And so that was the death knell for them. Never bringing it back. I do think, yeah, I don't know how well could have played it differently. We'll discuss it at the end. Van Baal going clear, solo on Carrefour Labra, and he actually... The only question was, will he puncture? He didn't. No Moscon 2.0 in the dry. They got his tire pressure, obviously, right. And he wins Haru Bay solo by one of the biggest margins for a long, long time. 1 minute 47 to the group, which Van Aert and Kung eventually catch up to Devrinton Morich. And Van Aert won that sprint for second. Kung had let it out really early and came third. De Vrindt, unlucky not to get on the podium. Moritz fifth. The drama, still, I've skipped over some of the drama on maybe the Gruises. What's it called, Benji? The Coles sector? The Croissant. last one? Croissant. Just after uh, Carrefour de Larbre, we saw that Lampard was still in a position to potentially get a podium at this race. And there was a spectator on the right side of the road who was clapping with his hands on the road, basically, over the road. And Lampard was on the right side of the road, near the gutter, but still on the road. So I'd argue he's not at fault there. And he basically rides into the hands of that clapping spectator and has a spectacular in the bat sense of the word crash way over the side of the road. And honestly, at that point, I thought perhaps this might even be a DNF. But a few seconds later, we did see him on the bike once again. He was chasing and he fell back towards a group of Vanderpool and fell through the group of Vanderpool there. So it was not going to be a podium for Lampard here. I'm actually very, I feel bad for him. Like, I genuinely feel bad. He rode a race where he might not have been the um, rider we selected before the race for Quick Step, even though he was the second guy in my eyes, next to Asgren. And he was able to position himself in such a good group going into the last 15 kilometers. He was not strong enough to win against the likes of Dylan van Baale. But to have your podium taken away like that is just, oh, oh, that hurts. Yes, but all weekend we've seen riders riding in the gutter. All weekend we've seen riders going in and out of the barriers. The fan obviously stepped forward way too much into Lampard's path and hit his hands. But again, this is the risk of often riding not on the cobbles, on the gutters. Um, But yeah, it's a shame he got taken out. I don't think he would have gone on the podium, frankly, either. I think Wout would have caught them, their group. But Van Baal Benji, is he one of the most underrated riders in cycling? Second Worlds, second Flanders, wins Roubaix by a minute 50, fourth at Flanders in 2017. He's, he seems to be like top 10 Flanders about five times, won Dwar's Duel last year, like... I couldn't. That's why I was surprised they waited for Ghana with 140 k's to go. Like, why do why do teams or riders keep letting him slip off slip off the front? Is it because his timing is so perfect? I think it's a combination of both the timing being perfect, knowing when the group dynamics are not good, and therefore benefiting from it, and also the fact that it's his it's his mo. He needs to get 
anticipation going before they get to cobble sections, even though today he probably could have done it very well on the cobble sections as well, even though dropping Venard on the cobbles might have been a bit more difficult than dropping Tom de Vriend and Mohoric, for example. But I would argue that Van Baal is that type, a rider that always anticipates the moments of the race where the other riders of favorites will take that acceleration going. Like in RVV, for example, he anticipates those moments and benefits from that. And we see that, we saw that in, in I think, 2017 RVV as well. In Worlds, for example, he tried to benefit from moments where the group dynamics were also not great to try and get away and slip away, follow the right attack. And perhaps it is indeed knowing which attack comes, which is not something super easy. And I think you need to know your competition very well from, for that. And that's where I want to kind of uh, bring it towards Wout van Aert versus Vanderpool today. You think that perhaps... Wild Fanat's focus on Vanderpool in that chasing group before Vanderpool showed that he was completely empty was the reason that the group of Mohoric and Lampard got away in the first place. Oh, I just think Wout was... I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I think he was too aggressive in that sort of second-to-last phase of the race from Molson from 55Ks to go to 25Ks, 28Ks to go before that move slipped away I, again i can't believe i'm saying it but he had his sprint in his back pocket like with how envy he was looking he had there's no pedersen there it's him against kung and tom de Vrint, man and <laughs> he's attacking the group of 10 over and over on the asphalt and then it's inevitable that those guys are going to slip away and like if he'd been as passive as MVP today maybe he slips into the winning move. I don't know. It's tough because if he doesn't go and he goes away with a group of Morich, Lampart, uh, Kung and Co., then they're going to attack the hell out of him before the velodrome. So he's kind of stuffed either way. The key is I just I didn't like burning Van Hoydonk like that. I didn't like it. I think he should have tried to keep him a little bit deeper into the race and – even have Nathan slip into a move with Morich and and Co. rather than use him uh, to just do a lead out onto the cobbled sector. Yes, but on the other hand, I think the mental gain of closing down 40 seconds with Nathan means a lot towards that chasing group of catching Morich in the first place. That's my like counterpoint towards that. But I also want to talk about the fact that what if Laporte doesn't have a puncture very early on in the race and basically disappears from the race, then has to pace Wout van Aert back after the Ardenberg and therefore could potentially play a role if he, he doesn't have to do all that in the final, then they've got two riders there and then they don't have the trouble of Wout having to react to everything. Then they've got someone else to do it for him as well. So I think the fact that Laporte, Laporte was not on it compared to other days, partially due to that puncture, definitely. I think that's a big factor in how this outcome for Yambo is. 100%. Like, well, Van Aert, I'm like, shoulda, coulda, woulda done this and that. He had great legs, obviously, but in a group of 10 like that with no teammates, we've seen at Ken Favelheim 2020 and a myriad of other races, it is incredibly difficult to win. And Van Baal was also extremely strong. Like, to be able to pull out a gap of 147 like that with Kung and Wout Van Aert chasing is insane. So, Van Baal, incredible. And yeah, Yumbo didn't have riders deep into the race. MVDP, maybe a little bit off today. Um, maybe it was a hard race from the start. And I think Ineos actually really deserved to win. They caught the big teams napping, except Quickstep. Maybe Quickstep deserved something out of it too. They put MVDP, Wout, and 
those two teams under a lot of pressure from the gun and yeah they deserve to get something out of this race and one of my favorite additions ever like i'll have to re-watch it i don't envy myself having to do a highlight video condensing this into six or seven minutes but yeah what do you think benji about ineos with the classics are they the new classics dominant team or, or what is it i think that they are very wide they're the new should i say quick step in some shape or form where they've got so many options that are very similar leveled in couple races and can therefore benefit from that a lot outnumbering the competitions if two of them have a bad day they've still got two left if one of them crashes they've still got a few left and that show today with Ganna, his problems in the end it didn't have too much influence on turner who then eventually crashed as well at the end of this race in the chasing group and then next to that van ball also being prominent towards the final They've got so many options right now that can go into these finals. And this is only going to better in the next couple of years when it comes to their youngsters. We don't know what Van Baal is going to do when it comes to his team for next season. As we've heard on, I think it was Ade or Haalen that Jumbo was interested in this guy. Now, I think his salary probably doubled today. Like, I'm not even kidding. Winning Paris Bay probably has a big influence on your salary, I would guess. So do you think that... Talking about that transfer for a second, do you think that Ineos should keep him at all costs? Or do you think that he's replaceable for them? Or do you think that right now, Yumbo, yeah, do you think he's still a good thing for Yumbo? I don't know. What, what do you say? It depends on the money. Um, Ineos obviously got Turner and co. coming through. They have other classics options. That being said, Dylan Van Baal doesn't just do classics. He's also a very, very strong domestique in Grand Tours, good in crosswinds, with Kwiatkowski aging a little bit. I mean, he's just one arm still. But, I mean, Van Baal's 30 as well. I don't know. Do I think Ineos almost need him a little bit more than Jumbo Visma. Uh, Jumbo Visma got sort of Dennis to do what he can do in the Grand Tours, and then I guess Laporte and Teish Pinot were supposed to be able to do what he can do in the classics but it depends on the money depends where he wants to go depends on what Ineos are doing because Ineos classics is great they have been good but um it should be if you're not gonna be the Tour de France favorite with the highest budget in the sport and maybe not even the second favorite you damn well better win at the classics quick step in doing so and doing well for a decade on a budget that's 40 percent of Ineos maybe less so yeah. I want to give a big shout out though to Intermarche, De Vrindt yeah. fourth, Petit sixth, <laughs> Christophe twelfth. That is an insane performance, particularly from De Vrindt and Petit. Like, and I don't know where Taco finished, sixteenth. Two riders in the top six, just they must be so happy. Incredible exposure. Obviously, I don't, I haven't counted it up. They have over five hundred points today. I think maybe six hundred, seven hundred UCI points. They're safe. And they're not just safe, they're at the pointy end of races competing for the win. So what a turnaround from them. Yeah, certainly. Anticipating moves as well, trying to get into every move that slips away before the favourites try and make their move. It's so enticing to see the likes of a, oh, Van der Hoorn was in this race attacking left and right, De Vrind getting in that breakaway. Oh, it's, it's just wonderful to see on it. It's lovely that there's such a team dynamic going on there where six riders in the top 25 i can't wrap my head around how much that is there's literally no other team that's done that i think today based on what i'm checking here and 
that's one of the teams that definitely deserves a big shout out here today. I want to give a small shout out to our fellow YouTube creator as well, Bastidema, who is currently still in the last five kilometers of Paris Roubaix, the last man in the race in front of the last Broomwagon, because he probably does not want to give up in his uh, first ever edition of Paris Roubaix. And I, I fucking love to see that. It's awesome. He's going to OTL, obviously, but I don't care. He's going to finish this race, and I truly respect that. Yeah, it was interesting. He was the last-minute addition for Bingo, Bingo Al, rather. He was, I think, first reserve. So, yeah, unbelievable race. Uh, whether this means Van Baal gets re-signed. I think the big takeaway for, for Wout is positive. He had COVID like two weeks ago. He had a bit of a MVP had put it over him in the big races, MSR, Flanders 2020, Flanders 2021. And today he was stronger than Van der Poel. And that's got to be some consolation, even though he didn't get the win. Uh, and listen, with 140 Ks to go, Benji, I thought Jumbo Visma might not top 10 this race. <laughs> like that, <laughs> was a, perhaps. <laughs> that was a real possibility that they don't top 10. And so they got to be happy with that. Quick step unlucky. And uh, yeah, what a race. Any other last thoughts from this, Benji? Honestly, not really. It was such a good race, this race. And I'm so happy that it was a race that was lit up from start to finish. We don't see that often in Roubaix where we've got action before we get to the Ardenberg section on a dry Roubaix. And this one proved otherwise. This one proved that there is the possibility that wind spikes up before we get to the first cobbles even and therefore explodes the group or brings us to a, an interesting tactical situation between teams and that's so intriguing and that kept us at the front centimeter of our seat the entire bloody race and I had to piss for the entire last 70 kilometers can you get that that's so hard to not do and I couldn't get away because I needed to watch it finish and it was worth it and I'm going to finish this off with 2022 Roubaix was better than 2021 sue me oh well I think that's yeah much more exciting this year, much more action, much more tactics rather than just MVP smash on the wet cobbles. <laughs> um, it'd be interesting to see the data of how much quicker. I think this is an incredibly quick addition thanks to 45? Ineos pacing. Um, very, very yeah. hard with 200 plus Ks to go. And yeah, I think I feel kind of the classics are done, Benji. Who won the classics? Ineos, I think, were the classics winners. Before, uh, cobble classics, that is. We're not haven't done Liège and Flesh yet. I'd argue that they were one of the winners of this. I think Yombo has the bad thing where they started off very strong, being dominant very early, but when it comes to RVV, their entire team imploded with Wout van Aert having COVID, Laporte crashing, they get to this race, Laporte punctures, Wout van Aert punctures twice. Like, what else can a team handle during a race like this? And it's so sad to see that they've got that going on. And Haaland posted, I think, last week that Wout van Aert might do Liège with Liège after Roubaix, which is something I've been asking for for how long? Two, two years that we asked for this on this podcast. And if that happens, I'd, oh, I won't spoil it. My preview pick is going to be in, on the actual preview of the race. Yeah, I think he's a good, he, if he does go to that, I'd be interested to see how they race for him there. In the last week, Amstel, Romance Pale. Harry Bay for Ineos, second at Flanders. They're my classics team of the year so far. Uh, has to be given to them, even though MVP won Flanders. Maybe Bahrain, if Moritz had won this, I think that would have been him. But that's all from us today on Paris Bay. 
unbelievable weekend. I'm exhausted. Thanks as always to Swift for supporting LRCP. What have we got next? Flesh will on and Liège, Master on Liège preview hitting you this week. Thanks as always for listening. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 